0: How can socially conscious people like us, how can we fix our broken financial system to redirect the wealth and power of big banks, traditional corporations, and the super rich to us average American citizens without using politicians or regulations? This is the question we ask on the Crowd Effect podcast. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy, activist investment advisor at Stakeholder Enterprise. I'm going to start today's show off with another question. How can we fix our broken financial system if we can't even reform our own personal financial system? Now the very first step to reforming our own personal financial system is challenging our beliefs centered around uh, money and finance. Now uh, I have past beliefs and I talked about Uh, beliefs around uh, money a few episodes ago. And I mentioned that I had a belief that money uh, will buy you happiness. Uh, Other beliefs uh, centered around money are money is the root of all evil, money doesn't grow on trees, uh, spending money makes me happy, uh, and so on and and so forth. Uh, Today, I have a belief uh, about money and personal finance that, that being financially healthy, and uh, engaging in my finances regularly is an act of self-care, just like uh, eating healthy foods, exercising regularly and uh, having good sleeping habits. Now, in in fact, having good financial help will allow me to uh, afford uh, healthier foods, uh, better exercise equipment, and I'll sleep better. Uh, knowing that I have my finances under control, so so this is a belief now that that I have uh, centered around money. Uh, what I did was I, I tried to get rid of all my harmful uh, beliefs around money uh, by challenging them and then replacing them with helpful beliefs, like the one I just mentioned. Okay, so so once once that has done uh, has been accomplished, you've challenged your beliefs and you've replaced them with with helpful beliefs, the the harmful ones, the next step is to gain financial literacy. All right. So what does that mean? Uh, That means uh, having the skills and knowledge to make effective money management and personal finance decisions. So the the cornerstone of financial literacy is understanding your net income, your, your monthly net income. Uh, and this is very simple uh, to to find out your your monthly net income. This is also referred to as cash flow, and it's simply your total monthly income subtracted by your total monthly expenses, and you end up with your net monthly income. Now, uh, why is this important? Well, you could see right away just by understanding that if you are digging yourself deeper into debt. Or you have the ability and opportunities to uh, make yourself uh, even healthier, financially speaking. So, so understanding net income. Now, there are so many easy ways now to get our, our net income. Traditionally, you know, you had to uh, look at your expenses. You're writing it down on a piece of paper or even a, a spreadsheet. And you know you're going back, and it's time-consuming, and you're like ah, and you have to keep doing it every month, and it's and and it can be a bit annoying and a hassle, even though it's it's very helpful for you. It's hard to take that time to do it today. That's not the case. There are these incredible money management apps where it it imports and aggregates all your online financial accounts into one secure location where it automatically uh, shows you what your average net monthly income is. It's easy, very easy. I, in fact, I offer uh, a, in my own money management portal, this, this budgeting tool uh, to be able to do that. All right. You've, you've figured out what your net monthly income is. That, that is probably the biggest and mo- most important thing you can do. Uh, The the second uh, step is understanding uh, assets and liabilities. Now, um, there's some confusion around assets and liabilities, uh, especially in the last 20 years. uh, The definitions of of assets and liabilities have changed a bit, uh, mainly due to Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he offers a really simplistic and I think helpful view of what assets and liabilities are, but it differs from traditional uh, accounting and uh, uh, investment advisors. Uh, We are trained differently on what assets and liabilities are. Uh, So Robert Kiyosaki's definition of an asset is Anything that puts money into your pocket, anything you own that that puts money into your pocket. Um, and his definition of a liability is anything that uh, takes money out of your pocket. So it's very, very simple. Uh, the traditional uh, definition is anything you own that that has value that that is an asset. Uh, and and then a, a liability is anything uh, that you have that incurs expenses. So here is where things get a little tricky. Um, also on balance sheets, they, they include equity as uh, part of the, the liabilities, which, which makes sense. If, if you think about uh, um, shares in, in a company and, uh, you know, the, the, that equity that, that, that you're giving up uh, as a company, that, that you need that to, to balance your balance sheet. Uh, And this will make sense uh, when we combine the the two definitions. Okay. So I really like uh, what an asset is, uh, according to Robert Kiyosaki. Um, And I mostly like what he says about liabilities. This is where it gets a little tricky. Um, Robert Kiyosaki calls your home a liability. And I understand why he does, because, uh, a home takes money out of your pocket with your mortgage and tax, property taxes, insurance, maintenance, repairs, um, all of that takes money out of your pocket. And so I understand how uh, that would be considered a liability. I also understand how uh, a home can be considered an asset. And because once you sell the home, uh, you're, you're getting money into your pocket. So, and, and it does increase in value. Homes appreciate over time. Um, over the short term, not always, but over the long term uh, home values uh, appreciate over time. So uh, I, I think there needs to be a third category here, something called future assets to, to uh, eliminate the confusion between what an asset and what a liability is. A future asset is something like a home that starts off being a liability with the idea that it will uh, be an asset in the future by putting more money into your pocket in the long run than it took out. Uh, Another example of a future asset is owning uh, equity shares uh, in a startup company. Um, It's taking money out of your pocket in the beginning. Also, uh, w- when you purchase equity shares, you know at, at the very beginning of a startup company, they, they it's very common for them to have something called rounds where they uh, they offer more shares uh, of equity. And in order to keep your same percentage, you have to con- uh, contribute more uh, uh, money into it. So it's it's taking money out of your pocket until the one day, you hope that uh, it, uh, it blows up and you, know, you have all these profits because you were uh, investing in the ground floor. Um, now, needless to say, future assets have uh, the greatest risk because there's a lot of unknowns uh, out there with, with um, you know, things right, raising in value. Startup companies, almost all of them fail. Uh, that's why um, I'm a crowd investor, uh, because you can invest in a startup company uh, with as little as a hundred dollars. Um, and with a home, you are are, are purchasing, uh, you, ha- you have this big down payment, right? You know, let's say it's a $20,000 down payment. Well, uh, you could invest into 200 um, uh, startup companies for the same cost, which would really diversify uh, your investments, 200 startup companies, uh, especially if you have, if you're doing due diligence, um, that you have the, a higher likelihood of of uh, getting money into your pocket when you diversify in that way. Okay. I, I feel like I'm getting into the weeds a little bit uh, about um, just basic financial literacy, but I think you understand why uh, there is uh, this um, difference uh, of going on of, of the definitions. Um, so I, that's why I, I think that it's good for just the average person to think about uh, an asset putting money into your pocket, liability taking out. Uh, now, is your job an asset? Uh, no, it's uh, you're an asset for your company, uh, that's for sure, um, because you're putting money into their pocket. Um, uh, the job is nothing you own. You don't own the job. You own the skills that you have and uh, which you could take elsewhere. So your skills are are an asset, but the job isn't. Um, The most effective assets are income producing assets, and and really, uh, I think that's what we should call assets. They're either income producing assets or future assets. Just having one word for assets, I don't think is helpful for anybody. So an example of an income producing asset uh, as a crowd investor would be crowd lending notes, Um, and especially the short term ones, you know, you're talking three years or less uh, where you're getting income every month from someone paying back the loan. And when you crowd invest, you could uh, contribute $25 to you know, a uh, $5,000 loan. You can contribute $10 in a $70,000 loan. Um, that's the beauty of, of crowd investing. Again, you can diversify um, very, very easily and uh, you know, mitigate your risk. So I'm using a lot of these terms, uh, I know, and maybe as I'm talking, you're understanding some of the financial literacy uh, that, that's going on. Uh, and, and understanding these assets and liabilities and your, your net monthly income is, is really the, the first step in um, reforming your own personal financial system. Now I've talked about in the past that crowd investing is a democratic vehicle of change. I've talked about it a lot. And uh, in order to be able to maximize your impact, well, we need to take that net monthly income and and direct it toward crowd investments to redirect the wealth and power from the the banks and the traditional corporations. Uh, Becoming a lender, Means that you're getting paid the interest, not the bank. Uh, so, so this is a market-based approach to redistribution of wealth through through crowd investing. Uh, also, on yesterday's show, I talked about how uh, a bank, you know, one bank, the the guy who um, the SVB, uh, the president of of that Silicon Valley bank, he was responsible for its collapse by by. Uh, doing, you know, incompetent investments. They weren't greedy investments. It was just incompetent. But it was just one guy uh, in charge of billions of dollars, billions. Uh, with crowd investing, it's dispersed uh, between many different, independent, uh, decentralized uh, voices that that ha- say, "Oh, I want to lend here. I want to lend there. I want to want to lend everywhere. You know, all over the place." So it, it doesn't have this uh, concentration of wealth that will lead to financial crisis. You know, it happens over and over again. That's what happened in two thousand eight. Concentration of wealth, uh, too big to fail, uh, and here we are again. Similar thing. Concentration of wealth. One guy has the power to make all the you know the decisions of of where this bank's assets go, and he made a bad one. And, you know, it caused a lot of people stress and, you know, it, it disrupted their business and, uh, you know, stock market. It took a, a, a nosedive and people are losing money, panicking. All, all this stuff happens. So uh, this is why um, uh, you want to understand your, the, the very basics of uh, finance, uh, because not only will it improve your own life. It has the ability to improve our entire financial system. My name is Paul Lovejoy. I am a crowd investor and I see you are one too. If you'd like to fix our broken financial system democratically without any protesting or divisive political action, go to stakeholderenterprise.com.